Okay, welcome everybody to a new episode of The Solar Journey. Today we have a new guest, it's uh, Radovan Kopecek. Uh, welcome Rado. Hello everyone. Yeah, so uh, Rado was born in Brno. That's uh, back then was a city in Czechoslovakia, now in the Czech Republic. He studied science in uh, Germany and in the United States of America. In uh, 2002, he got his PhD in the city of Konstanz in Germany in the field of thin film crystalline photovoltaics. Uh, until the end of 2006, he was a group leader at the University of Konstanz. That's in southern Germany, close to Switzerland, beautiful area, close to Austria at the beautiful lake of, of Konstanz. Uh, in Germany, it's a uh, it's Bodensee, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you can, you can. Can you see it? Yeah, no. little too, bit. Too sunny day. Yeah, okay. too much of a sunny day. <laughs> so, and uh, he's one of the co-founders and uh, now managing directors of ISC Konstanz. ISC Konstanz was founded in two thousand five, and it's a non-profit organization with around about sixty employees. And uh, this institute focuses on solar cell research and global technology transfer. And in addition, since 2016, Rado is also on the board of directors of the Association of European R&D Centers involved in renewable energy research. And on top, he's a co-founder of Atomos Tech, that's an R&D center for desert solar modules and systems in Chile, South America. So as you can see, he's a real solar cell techie with global mindset, almost all of his professional life. He's very active on LinkedIn, if you wanna see what he's up to, but also you can meet him on almost all conferences on solar energy on this planet. And also not rarely you can find him on stage of those conferences as a session chair. So again, very welcome, warm welcome to you, Rado. Thank you very much, Thorsten, for, yeah. for this great invitation and uh, to be able to talk about my favorite topic, which is me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, which is <laughs> photovoltaics, actually. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. So let us know, why did you get started in solar in the first place? In first place? Yeah, because I needed money. <laughs> <laughs> As you already mentioned, uh, I, I studied physics in, in uh, US and uh, in, in Germany. And when I came back after my, my master at Portland State in 1995, I actually needed money to continue my studies in Stuttgart because I did not feel ready to be a, a physicist. Yeah. And at that time, a very good friend of mine, Christoph Zacek, was working at Max Planck Institute uh, together with Professor Werner and uh, Dr. Uh, Brendel at that time and uh, Mr. Bergman, Dr. Bergman. And um, I just needed money, so I contacted them and uh, wanted to work for them. And uh, actually, at the beginning, they were not looking for for anybody, but I was quite stubborn and, and pushy. <laughs> so finally they took me and um, yeah, it was a great experience to start to work in PV 
1995. So I'm already in PV since 26 years. Yeah, excellent. But you also continued um, ah, right. in solar. So yeah, was so, that? so that was actually the start. And then I enjoyed it very much because I, I already felt at that time that it's a very important technology. And uh, at that time, I did not do my uh, uh, diploma study in, in solar, but in uh, uh, superconductor technology and uh, that was also interesting but I felt that that I need to do something for so something practical that it also makes sense to to develop in future and uh, that's why I uh, left Stuttgart after my diploma I went to Konstanz and started my PhD on, on crystalline silicon photovoltaics and that was extremely interesting not only because of the science but during that time you know that um, the politics was involved in this so-called feed-in tariff and uh, these were more or less like the, the start of uh, successful implementation of photovoltaic so i continued and then 2005 we founded isc constance because there was a big need for a platform to to work closely with the industry and at that time it were machine builders like central Tembrina and Pacini that needed assistance for development of new cell concepts and that's how it all started. Yeah, excellent. So you already mentioned IEC, um, the, the institute, the uh, non-profit organization you worked for, you were also a co-founder. Mm -hmm. um, so who exactly are your customers? So these days our customers are mostly machine builders and uh, solar cell and module producers abroad, mm -hmm. which are, for example, in India, Adani, or in uh, China, SPIC, which is uh, the largest electrical company in, in China working on uh, renewables. So yeah. not the largest in production, but in implementation of, of renewables. And they mm -hmm. have chosen our technology for production of high efficient solar cells. So in general, machine builders from Europe, and uh, producers outside of Europe. And, and currently you would say India is the, the largest market for you? Or um, currently I would say it's 50-50 India and, and, and China. Mm -hmm. But now it seems that, that India is uh, becoming a huge market uh, with this uh, incentives that India started a couple of months ago. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, there are new customers popping up like uh, Reliance, maybe Avada, uh, ESL. This could be uh, quite interesting for yeah. us in, in the future. Yeah. So wh wh why do they hire you? Um, as I understand, you do research on uh, solar cell technology, you do technology transfer. Why do they, why do they need you? Why don't they rely on equipment builders or their own technology team? What's the value you bring to the to your customers? Yeah, that's different from customer to customer, but but mostly mm -hmm. ISC Constance is quite valuable, let's say for for newcomers. And uh, of course, they could hire um, Chinese uh, equipment uh, suppliers because they are like 10 years ago in Germany, 
machine, the German machine builders were offering turnkey solutions like Simplotem, uh, mm -hmm. for example, and this is now what, what the Chinese are doing. But, you know, the, the Indian companies sometimes uh, are not very well connected to China or let's say do not want to cooperate with Chinese. This depends on the customers. Other customers in India, they, they love <laughs> to buy uh, low cost Chinese equipment, but mm -hmm. I would say, 80% of the Indian customers these days are looking for, for different solution uh, besides of uh, China. And then of course, ISC Constance is quite knowledgeable in technology mm -hmm. transfer. So that's why they, they select us. Yeah. So the, um, the, the business model, you, you basically uh, sell your time you spend with the customers or do you include a certain license because you have a certain know-how for a specific cell type or how, how, mm -hmm. what do they pay for? Yeah. Yes, so at the beginning of ISC Constance in 2005, our business model was completely different. And then after uh, the, the production diffused to China, we have to we had to change our business model. So at the beginning, our business model that we were serving existing customers in, in Germany or in Europe, like Bosch, Solar, Solar World, uh, Sunways, mm -hmm. was also production in, in Constance in, in the uh, past. And uh, our business model then was to, to also rent our equipment so they could go to ISC Constance and, and use our pilot line. Then when let's say the production diffused to, to China, to Asia, then we completely changed our business model and we bought all the patents that we commonly developed with, with Bosch and uh, were um, going into, into technology transfer. So our first customer was still in Europe, Megacell in, in Italy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what we are uh, doing at the moment, we have um, always two contracts that we, that we negotiate with the customer. One is for the technology transfer and one for, for licenses. And licenses, we, we can uh, still get from the customers because our technologies are, let's say, slightly different from state of the, mark, uh, state of the art of, on the market, which is PERC, but mm -hmm. we are, let's say, selling technologies beyond perk okay excellent so it's uh two revenue streams one is the consulting aka technology transfer mm -hmm. and the other one is uh recurring revenue through through licenses yeah exactly yeah interesting cool so uh, the more the longer they produce the more they produce uh the more money you get that's that's your the way it works or yeah exactly it's not also exactly. the flat rate or, yeah yeah. revenues but but let's say the the um, asian customers they pay the license fees uh, up, up front and this is also what they like more because they can let's say it's it's easier for them to to plan what they have to to uh, to pay for the technology okay it's a lump sum in the beginning yeah. exactly in the All beginning right. and let's say within the half a year that we are on site there are um special payments for for the license fee so it's not everything up front but okay. um, depending on, on on how fast we proceed then, then the other payments are okay done. excellent 
So for how long are you? Do you stay usually stay involved? Is it half a year, for, or is it? What's the typical yeah. involvement? Yeah. I mean, the planning starts before we we go yeah. on site, but but from the beginning when we go on site to let's say the the final approval of the efficiency, it's about uh, half a year. But what also the customer like to do with us in in future are um, R and D projects. So so they do not buy technology and, and then believe because they are asking from the beginning uh, for for upgrades so mm -hmm. if we offer a technology we have to to show them a roadmap how they can go to to higher efficiencies in future and this is mostly then uh, related with an r&d contract okay and that's usually like customized per customer a special technology path or mm -hmm. yeah okay so so the customer needs to be kind of knowledgeable at some stage to decide which which path you want to follow yeah. exactly so they hire also let's say specialists that evaluate uh, our proposals yeah, yeah so-called exactly. also owners engineers that that are selecting let's say the the proposals also from, okay. from other companies yeah so so how many people Go on site. So you roughly have 60 employees. Um, that means then some of your engineers stay on site for half a year in, in India, China, somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we have always one responsible for the project, like the yeah. project manager, and then mm -hmm. he mostly stays really for, for uh, the full six months. And then we have specialists on, on different technologies, and, and then they travel back and forth. So, so normally, let's say a typical duration for one specialist, for example, for screen printing is about two months on site. And then there's a change of, uh, of, of our uh, people there. So all in all, there are always five to seven people on site. Okay, okay. Excellent. And they share a flat and having a good time overseas? <laughs> yes, that, that depends on, on the location, of course. Okay. Normally they, they have fun, yes. <laughs> so what's your favorite, what's the favorite uh, location for your engineers? Yeah, we might have a project uh, on Mauritius. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so so, I so think everybody's that... lining up to, to go there. Exactly. We will not have problems to, to find volunteers, I guess. Okay. And in the past, what was kind of, when you look back, what was the, the sweetest city or place you stayed in? Uh, yeah, that's, that really depends on, on individual people that, that like the site. But I think Italy was, was, was quite nice to, to work at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And also because Franco Traverso was very general and he was, uh, very often inviting people for for dinner and uh, having parties so okay italy was quite nice oh, excellent um yeah so what are the typical challenges for you in a, in a project what, what would you say is the the key challenge for your work mm -hmm. yes so we already mentioned it so sometimes for example if uh, we have a transfer in, in china and in Shining, which is actually a extremely interesting place. Yeah. But uh, of course, our people have 
families and uh, other duties. So it's, it's, it's always quite difficult to make the planning yeah. of the stay. And then, I mean, you know, the situation in, in, in PV, it very often gets postponed, but you have to do the planning beforehand and then you have changed completely. So it's the logistics behind the technology transfer is not not very easy to have let's say the all the team being available all the time yeah 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 i can imagine i can imagine mm -hmm. and um one interesting thing thing about ic consent is it's a non-profit organization why mm -hmm. did you choose that type of uh legal legal body yeah that was quite easy at the time, I would say, because, you know, in 2005, there were so many companies that uh, just wanted to make profit. And uh, after uh, insolvencies, they just left the field and went to another uh, company. But, but we just wanted to, to show that ISC Constance is different and that we really stand behind the technology. And uh, this was also very well, um, Uh, seen from from all the other companies, like from the machine builders, that there are really a team of people that uh, do not want to fill their their pockets with the subsidies, <laughs> but to to really um, make the institute rich. So we we are making profit, of course, even if we are a non-profit organization. But the profit flows into into the corporation. Mm. So what does it exactly mean, a non-profit, right? So you, you make profit, but then you have to reinvest it or you, you can't, there, there's no dividends for the owners. Exactly. What, exactly. What, what's exactly the difference between a private company and a non-profit mm -hmm. organization? So at the end of the money, there's one million left, let's say. Usually mm -hmm. you would keep it in the, keep the cash to be prepared for bad times as a company, or you would say, let's share the, the one million among the, the shareholders. And how do you go about it, right? Exactly. You guys, so of course, make it, get a salary, right? We get a salary, which is uh, not as good as in the industry. Okay. So um, if we have more money at the end uh, of a year, we are planning to, to invest it into our institute, buying new equipment or, for example, now you mentioned it, we are 60 people, but it seems that in future will be rather 70 to 80. Uh -huh. So we are thinking about expansion. And, and so we have to rather uh, set, uh, build some floors on top of our institute or change the building. So buy a new building and new equipment. And uh, this is, What we are doing so so the money really stays within the institute and not that uh, um, we, we pay more for for the directors so, so that they can drive a tesla yeah <laughs> <laughs> Teslas are nice yes. anyhow um so you're, you're trying to find more people and uh, specialists in in solar and tech mm -hmm. so uh that's usually difficult Uh, these days, um, what makes what do your employees appreciate? They are kind of employees, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. I'm what makes you employee. a yeah? So, what makes you an attractive uh, employer? Um, is that important? That nonprofit aspect, or what's the the key attraction 
for you as an employer? Yeah, the key attraction is certainly, and it was from the beginning, the location. And uh, so we don't have any problems to, to get some, some people to, to Constance because it's really a beautiful place. Mm. Um, close to the mountains, at the lake, very yeah. close to Switzerland and Austria, as you mentioned before. Yeah. But of course, the other aspect is that um, we, we hire for passion. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what, what the people really can, can feel from us from the beginning, that yeah. we are not the ones that are filling our pockets, but really want to move something. And uh, yeah. because we work very close to the industry, and uh, this is what, what many of people share with us, the passion to actually see their developments in, in uh, PV systems out there. And uh, from yeah. the beginning, we were betting on uh, bifaciality and on N-type technologies. And I think it was a good forecast from us because this is happening at the moment. Yeah, and almost and, standard, and, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we were fighting for, for many years for that. And uh, so I would say at the moment, it's the location and also the, the, the passionate people in, at our institute that are attracting other passionate people. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you're a founder, you're a managing director. Mm -hmm. um, um, there's hardly any training for this, so uh, <laughs> you just did it. So when you, what was the, I mean, the, what was the driver to, to do that, right? You could have said, well, I'm looking for, I'm going to join an equipment maker, right? And, and work on solar, work on tech there. What, what was the, the driver to say, well, I'm going to do my own thing together with similarly passionate people about solar? Yeah, so I must admit, I'm not a typical founder. And uh, if I would not be surrounded by, by people like uh, Christian Peter and Peter Fahrt and uh, Eckhard Wefringhaus at the beginning, I would not dare to make this step. Mm. And, uh, so at the beginning, I was hoping that the others know what they are doing. <laughs> And uh, they, they really made it very well. And um, I mean, we had good connections already at the University of Constance. And, and mm. the push came also from the machine builders. And uh, they were actually asking us for, for making this step. But, but anyhow, I was not the one, not the driver behind, behind this. It was definitely Christian Peter, Peter Fahrt, and, and uh, Eckhard Wefringhaus, these three people. That, that were, were pushing it and also making the contracts. But uh, let's say my strength is rather in um, technology and uh, I'm not a fast uh, uh, thinker, but what is my, my, my um, advantage, for example, is I think I'm quite creative and, and I can remember things. Okay. And uh, it's important to remember things in, in photovoltaics, what have been tried already a couple of years ago and uh, what, what worked and what not. So um, this is what, what makes me, let's say, uh, a good director now of, of IC Constance. Not yeah. at the beginning, but, but now I'm becoming more and more important in this company. Yeah. So uh, when you look back, what, what were the key lessons, you know, um, the biggest fails, the biggest lessons uh, as a uh, managing director, um, maybe head of technology, new advanced concepts, or just 
people skills, anything, right? What, what was the, the key learning? The key learning is that if you believe in something, you really have to fight for it, even if um, it seems that it's going nowhere. And <laughs> we had really bad times at IC Constance where the liquidity was, was, was so bad that we had to uh, get new fresh money from the bank and uh, trying to convince them that it will be better in future. And um, yes, there were really difficult times and um, and yes, so I think the, the learnings are that it's good to have a team of directors and, and <laughs> this is um, very special about IC Constance, I would say we have uh, six directors mm -hmm. and uh, we are all quite good friends, but also very uh, complementary. So there is a positive one and there's a negative one and one who <laughs> likes to read the contracts. So we have a really a, a great team and um, it's sometimes hard to to uh, discuss with five people and to, to come to a consent. But I think that that was the, the key for, for success of ISC Constance, that yeah. we actually spread it, the work on, on six shoulders and uh, all have the, the same power. Okay, excellent, wonderful. So uh, how did you de develop your management skills? How do you optimize your day-to-day um work right do, do you did you get any training or did you read any books or how, how do you improve your your skills mm -hmm. yeah so i didn't read a book about it but we are having uh monthly trainings for uh for this mostly how to to um deal with our our staff and uh, because I think IC Constance is very good about um, bringing technology to the market, about technology. So all the directors that are actually the, the highest level, they are physicists or chemists, and, and they do know what the people are doing, which is not, not uh, always the case in a company. Mm -hmm. Normally you hire a CEO and he doesn't very often know anything about what, what the people are, are doing, but, but our weakness is really, let's say, um, still management and, and uh, to um, maybe not to motivate the people, but, but to, to uh, take care of, of our, our uh, staff more. This is what I would say is, is, is our weaknesses. And this is what we are practicing frequently yeah. okay how, how do you do do you have an external coach or, or do you just talk about it among the six directors or mm -hmm. exactly we have an external coach and this is extremely important because if we would talk only uh, between us i think we will not not come to a conclusion yeah. on this topic at least so we have an yeah. external coach and, and we meet uh, also tomorrow on, on saturday to, to discuss these topics how for example what what new challenges will come to ISC Constance when we increase from 60 people to, to 80 or maybe 90, because this is really a, a, a big structural step. Because uh -huh. when you have 60 people, you still know more or less everyone, what, what, what everyone is doing. But if yeah. you are 80, 90, then you have to 
completely reorganize and also make some official documents which which were not in place before and so on so this is yeah. a big step yeah excellent fantastic um so uh, let's move to the outside we talked about ic in, in what's the what's your on your mind business wise when you think about the the solar industry um yeah mm -hmm. yeah so as i told you we we started with uh, serving german companies mm -hmm. and then we had to change our business plan to um serve uh, asian companies and to make technology transfer outside of of europe but now it seems that pv is coming home and that's also our slogan <laughs> uh, we assist investors or let's say companies that would like to restart production in in europe very strongly with with uh, technology and also we talk to politicians and and try to create a um, working environment in europe so that it will work again and, and i'm quite sure it will because now pv became the the king of energy markets so actually the situation is much different than than three or four years ago and um, similar to to the car industry now pv will enter a, a terawatt market quite soon and we just cannot produce uh, pv technology in in one country or two countries like india and china we we must bring it back to europe in order to to really guarantee our our ambitious goals for future so why do you think that it won't work that solar cells solar modules are only produced in uh, let's say china it's china has a market share of i guess some, something around 90 95 percent why wouldn't that work no. yeah i mean it's worked so far i would say and um, the capacity of of uh, cell module production these days is about um, 300 giga and but of course as Everybody knows in PV it's now limited to 200 giga because of uh, the polysilicon crisis. But like for future, I mean, you, you cannot rely on, on continuous shipments from, from Asia to, to install huge gigawatt systems in, in Europe. And um, we are entering now really, uh, we, we are still in an exponential growth of, uh, of production and installation and now when PV is the king of energy markets, every country is now hungry for photovoltaics. And this just does not work with production from one country only. And uh, of course, China can produce at, at the lowest cost, also because of, uh, let's say, subsidized electricity for polysilicon production and things like that. But, but let's say, in addition, now you have to pay for the transportation costs, which rapidly increased in the last months. And, uh, one example is exactly so. So the, the the cost for for a container a couple of years ago were about two thousand dollars, and now it shoots it up to to eighteen thousand. So this is uh, adding costs to to the module uh, prices. Mm -hmm. I mean, they will go down again, but 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 still, we need supply security in in Europe, yeah. in every country actually, also in US. That's yeah. why local production and, and vertical production, I mean, you cannot rely um, on, on even one component that, that comes from, from Asia only. So we have to rebuild our supply chain in, in Europe and, and uh, 
make our own modules. Yeah. So to uh, to bring home, as you say, um, production, or it, let's say more general, to uh, uh, make sure that there's local production of solar modules in any parts of the world. What's what's the biggest obstacle to to get that done? Mm -hmm. Is it technology? Is it the supply chain of materials and equipment or mindset, maybe finances, uh, education, in, in mm -hmm. or the stakeholders that yeah, comes so, to the so mind? That depends, of course, on the country. And uh, Let's say Germany. Yeah. Okay, Germany. <laughs> I just wanted to say on Mauritius, we have also different okay. challenges than in Germany. But, oh, right, yeah. But, but, but uh, in Germany, it's, it's a mixture of Uh, let's say uh, banks being burned in the past with photovoltaic, so so they do not trust the situation, of course, to yeah. to start financing new projects again. Mm. And um, the other thing is that that we have to rebuild our value chain again in in Europe. Or what does it mean rebuild? We have to build it because, like in 2005 or or seven when. PV was was big in, in Europe. It was on a two gigawatt scale. Yeah. And and now if we want to set up new productions, we have to do it on 20 to 40 gigawatt scales. So so 10 times more. So not rebuilding supply chain, we have to build a supply chain. And, and uh, this will be the, the most difficult part. And um, it has to be the whole supply chain. So polysilicon wafers we have to produce in Europe cells and of course all the other components for for modules like glass and and, uh, and capsulins and whatever so we need a critical mass in uh, mass in in Europe which will be about 10 giga first that that really the the, the glass producers will trust again in photovoltaic and, and will um, restart glass production in in, um, in Germany again, or in, in, in Europe again for photovoltaics. Mm. And then we can slowly grow. And, and I believe that, let's say for future, for the future market in 2030, I think we would need something like 100 uh, giga production in, in Europe, which will be about 10% of the, of the entire PV market. Mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, um, so, so uh, efficiencies of solar cells has improved. The cost has come down dramatically by orders of magnitudes when we go back 10, 20 years. Um, so a lot has happened. Um, maybe as the, the, the closing topic uh, for our session, um, still, do you have anything else on your mind that uh, needs to be done, that needs to happen? to get uh, solar or in general, the renewables to, to the next level? Yeah, this is, this is quite an interesting and important questions, which I cannot 100% uh, answer because, yeah. I mean, we are already at levelized cost of electricity uh, numbers in Germany, let's say between three to, to four cents per kilowatt hour and, and yeah. in the, Middle East regions already going down to one cent per kilowatt hour. So yeah. I would say this is already enough. 
that we can compete with any other technology out there. But of course, we have to continue development. And uh, as you know, there are new technologies on the map like tandem solar cells, where we can go even with the efficiencies above 30%. Mm. These days, we are with module efficiencies between 21 and 22. But yeah. uh, with the uh, tandems, we, can, we could even go above 30%. But of course, the problem is uh, reliability yeah. and, and costs. So I am quite sure that, that um, in the next five years, we will go from, from per technology to other technologies uh, like Topcon and uh, Heterojunction IBC, which is the, let's say, the next level of photovoltaics, reaching efficiencies of 23% and also having lower temperature coefficient, higher bifaciality, lower degradation and so on. But mm -hmm. from that point on, I am not quite sure when, when tandems will come on the market. And let's say from the uh, economical point of view, it's, it's not necessary because we will reach uh, LCOEs, so, so electricity costs for PV below one cent per kilowatt hour, which is, let's say, uh, nobody can do it mm. uh, besides of, of photovoltaics in future. But, I mean, uh, development will not be stopped. So, so yeah. tandems maybe will be out there in the next 15 years as well. But, but there are still many challenges for, for these technologies. Yeah. Yeah, so Periscite, so the Helmholtz Center in, in Berlin, they just recently announced that they are close to 30%, 29.8%. That's a wonderful result. But mm -hmm. you mentioned the, the reliability. Do you work on periscites at IC or is that you focus on silicon only at this exactly point? so so we were thinking about to stepping in but but and also talked then with our advisory board and and we're coming to the conclusion that we should focus on crystalline silicon only so on our speciality but of course we are cooperating with the uh, Helmholtz as well and then other uh, companies like also Total and um, yeah. Oxford PV to develop the bottom cell, the bottom cell, the crystalline silicon cell. Yeah. And uh, yes, they have announced a, a very nice efficiency, but I mean, I'm working now 25 years in, in photovoltaics and I know how difficult it is to, to bring innovations into the market. And then PV is a completely different uh, industry branch that, that any other technology, I would say, because it's mm -hmm. about reliability and then and, and you have to guarantee module lifetimes for more than 20 years and then this is extremely difficult and uh, it it does not only has to be proven in the laboratory it has to be proven also in the field and this takes a very long time and so but i think tandems will come and we are now also organizing the second tandem workshop that we mm -hmm. launched um, um, last year now it's in in uh, Freiburg next year. And uh, there we will discuss exactly these topics. When can we make tandem technologies bankable? What, what is needed to be done in the future? Wonderful. Hey, Radu, thanks a lot for your insight into IEC, your work as a, as a manager, your learnings, and uh, your insight into, in this solar, into the solar industry. Thanks a lot for joining. 
thank you for the invitation and let's push PV together into the market and hopefully also to the European market. So uh, Torsten, I hope then that you can also help us with that in the future. Sure, I'll do my best. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh,